Hi and welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast series Sunny Side Up. I'm Paroma. I'll be your host for the day. Hi Kate, welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast Sunny Side Up. We're happy to have you Hi. here. How are you? Hi, thank you so much. I'm doing great. I'm, the sun is shining where I am, which um, we needed because it's been a lot of rain here. So I'm, I'm happy. It always helps. That's super great. It's the perfect day to participate in the Sunny Side Up podcast series. <laughs> so do you want to begin by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and about your company lately and uh, especially how the idea for this dashboard came about? Yeah, sure. So I actually was a rock and roll DJ in another life, which was mm-hmm. wild, wild adventure. And just to go way back, because I think it's interesting to, to other people and other women, certainly. I was at the top. I was at XM Satellite Radio broadcasting to 20 million listeners a day. It was super fun. But it was also super hard. Like as one of the few women programmers there, my ideas weren't really taken very seriously. And there was you know sexual harassment and all that stuff. And I just got really tired of it. And I just started having all these illnesses and my body was like saying, mm-hmm. get out. So I made a lateral move to another music related company and the same kind of stuff happened, was happening. I was really miserable person, you know, like I've just kind of was upset. I hated my job. I was crying all the time. And one day my dad shook me by the shoulders and he was like, you can't work for other people. And there's no shame in that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, because I actually did feel deep shame, like I was failing a class or something, right? And so the next day, my husband gave me Guy Kawasaki's Art of the Start, right? That book that lots of entrepreneurs read. And I read it to like page nine or something. And it said, don't make a plan, just get started. And literally that week, I happened to go out to lunch with some business people that I didn't know their backgrounds. And they turned out to be angel investors. And they were like, we love you. We want to give you $50,000 to start your first company. That's that fabulous. Amazing, right? And, and it came at the right time. I know. My husband was like, who are you? And then <laughs> the three of us started this music online tastemaking thing. This is a long time ago. And as I was marketing it, somebody else came to me and said, hey, you're really good at marketing. We'd like to pay you a lot more money to consult us and you don't have to listen to bad music anymore. And I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> that was a Walmart project. So that was pretty fortuitous. And that's where the story of lately really starts. So with the Walmart project, suddenly I was project managing this pretty large campaign. So it was Walmart and United Way Worldwide, National Disability Institute, Bank of America was involved in AT&T, as well as tens of thousands of small businesses and nonprofits all working together to promote the same campaign. And so you can imagine for me, like my email box was overwhelming and I just thought, wow, what a mess. So I organized the project into one heck of a spreadsheet mm-hmm. and my spreadsheet organizational system ended up getting us 130% ROI year over year for three years. So how long did it take for you to come up with the entire spreadsheet system? Right away, I just kind of started chunking things around into what we were making and doing, but it it morphed over the 10 years of my business because I started taking the same system and applying it to all my companies. And the reason was, what was so interesting with the Walmart project was it didn't matter if it was Walmart or a small business or a nonprofit, they were all having the same problems. So a lot of Mm -hmm. incredibly bad writing skills, like poor marketing writing skills, which was surprising to me to see this, and inconsistencies, right? So Walmart corporate would get the tagline wrong again and again, for example. Organization didn't surprise me. I mean, not everybody has like the anal spreadsheet gene that I have. Um, And, you know, other people have 
So as I saw those redundancies, it was the, the thing that kept carrying over and over and over again. And so the buckets, I guess you might call in the spreadsheets, became a map for all of my clients because it turns out that all marketers almost always need to do the same thing again and again. And I was like, well, right. why should I remake the wheel here? Like this is the map. So the idea behind Lately originally was let's take this map and turn it into software and automate the process that I would spend hours and hours and hours and hours on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of this is pretty interesting. So can you tell us what drives demand for social engagement tools today? And how do you see the future for this segment? How do you see it grow? Well, so, I mean, as far as social engagement tools, which is what Lately is, actually, it's an artificially intelligent social engagement tool that helps you, just to back up real quick, so we actually turn blogs, newsletters, podcasts, and videos instantly into dozens and dozens of amazing social posts. Yay! It's kind of awesome. Pretty quickly, in like minutes. Yeah, in seconds even. It's like pretty great. We automatically organize all kinds of stuff behind the scenes as well, which is cooler to show you than it is to talk about, but... Knowing what our customers want, and certainly as an agency owner, like hearing my clients talk, the demand for social engagement is, you know, the same as it's always been, which is money, client money, right? Like, so it's just another avenue of getting customers to trust and love you and eventually pay you. What I'm seeing, which is interesting, so I'm a big believer in communication and organic communication, right? So radio, I love radio. I'm old school. I love the theater of the mind, right? That idea of of how you imagine someone to look or in the sound plays a lot. It's more active, right? To be listening or even reading a book than it is to watch a TV when it's all given to you. And writing plays that same role, which I think is fascinating. One of the things that I'm interested in is how to Use the idea, the tips and tricks that I learned in radio and marketing now, which is what I do a lot. So I'll give you an example of remote. We at XM, we were pre-recorded, right? It was, in our case, it was two people running an entire channel, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we had to record it so we could possibly do it. But we would mm-hmm. leave in mistakes on purpose so that we would sound right. more human. Right. And so right. I think about that like in my own writing and my own marketing for my company and how other people doing it. And I love the idea of, of making mistakes or not seeming perfect all the time, right? Like that is more natural and more human and more engaging. It's funny because while we are an artificial intelligent company, you think of like artificial intelligence as robots being perfect. And one of the things we tell our customers is, my goal with the AI is to take the hard work off, but you have to put the human into it. Because marketing is inherently human and about emotion. And if you remove the human, you remove the emotion and you defeat the person, right? Absolutely, yeah. Like that's the thing that I've noticed too, that people are, because people hate writing. They're incredibly, sometimes lazy and sometimes just they don't know how to do it. I've seen this as well. And it's really surprising because I've always looked at it as a very basic skill, like reading and writing. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the Mm -hmm. first few things you learn to do. So I don't know why it's so hard for people to write because, you know, I relate to a lot of these observations, marketing copy, the (laughs) the sophistication, the consistency, the grammar. There's always, I relate to a lot of things that you're saying, but I don't get why, why a basic skill is difficult, you know, maybe, maybe there's something we need to do there. <laughs> I, I, yeah. It's so funny that you yeah. say that. So like, I've been doing a lot of research about this and I learned that companies are spending more than $3 billion a year on remedial writing training for employees. 
mm-hmm. because of the bad writing, both internally and externally. So not only sales and marketing to customers, how they communicate to customers, but how you and I would communicate via email or Slack because right. the reading time is so long because people are not good at communicating what they want to say that it's costing companies yeah. money. I think part of it is because there's always been this school of writing that's very Emily Post, like very strict grammar. But nowadays, we all communicate with emojis and text, and it's the way we communicate has evolved, but the way we teach writing has not evolved along with that. So like one example, you you know this, remember how we were all taught in school, maybe they still do this today, when you're writing an essay, you're supposed to have a preamble, like the first paragraph like warms people up. Yeah, exactly. You don't do that anymore today. You just, that's burying the lead. You've got to start with the lead. Right. Plus, I think in addition to all of that, it's also the content consumption habits that's changed. So the way you write has changed and the way you need to write that that is also going to change. So there's a lot that has to be done here. <laughs> so uh, do, you, yeah. do you want to tell the audience about a typical day at work? What's that like for you as someone who's started a new company and what takes up most of your time? Like marketing, <laughs> marketing the product or <laughs> aligning things between multiple teams. What's a day like for you? If that's just too broad, then tell us what's today like. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I work from home actually for a lot of reasons, but I, because of stress, actually, I have a partial permanent disability. This is like PMI, but I actually can't type through my, my hands and wrists and arms. I have really bad tendonitis. So I use voice activated software. So ironically, Puruma, I still talk for a living. Like I'm still on radio, Uh you know? And so I work from home because I need to have a silent space because the microphone hears you. So for me, I mean, my day, it's pretty crazy. I will get up and pretty much just start working because those silent hours in the morning, I find really valuable to me and I can get a lot done. And then I, you know, I'll do things like brush my teeth, sometimes not till like two o'clock in the afternoon because like I forgot, you know, (laughs) and I'm home. (laughs) So that happens. But it's a lot of, I mean, my, I have a really superior team. They're incredible and they require very little management and micromanagement, which is pretty lucky. Um, but we're dispersed and, and all of us are all over the country, actually. So we do a lot of slacking, as you might imagine. And, you know, for me, usually as the CEO, fundraising is in my life, but we made a really a tough decision, but a really amazing decision to stop fundraising mm-hmm. recently and so that I can focus 100% on sales and marketing, which is what I'm good at and what would benefit the company the most. So in order to do that, we just had to make a really ultra lean budget. And it's, it certainly has been painful, but the stress reduction has been really noticeable as well. And the best part is we're in control now, which I really, really love. And I feel like the team can operate in a different way because the sale is in our control. We have the ability to win the sale or lose the sale. Where with when you're getting investment, people say no all the time for weird reasons and you don't even you have no idea. You know, you really can't control those conversations. So typically nowadays I'm doing a lot more writing for both sales and marketing, mm-hmm. speaking of writing. <laughs> which I like because, of course, I love doing that. And trying to be in, I mean, lately, I mean, there's no pun intended or pun intended, I guess. I've been doing something that I haven't done for a while, which is to put my eyeball on a number of spots where I haven't looked for a while. So like my MO as a CEO is to let people run wild in a sense. Like I'm a wild horse and I know that I need to run in order to run fast. So if you put the tethers on me, I'm not going to do anything for you. And I hire people right. who have a really similar 
like aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But once in a while, I got to go in there and like take a look. So that's the mode yeah. I'm in right now. And it's a little bit exhausting because I'm doing lots of things that a CEO probably shouldn't do, like little kinds of things. But I have to do this every once in a while to understand how my employees are working, how they're communicating, what are the little things that are bogging them down that eventually would bog me down. Um, right, so it's, right. it's exhausting, but important and enlightening. You know, so it's a good, great way to be like, oh, here's how you're screwing up, Bradley. <laughs> now you can really <laughs> And it's see all it. worth it yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, it's all worth it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell us, within B2B marketing, how critical a role and why will social media marketing play in the years to come? Like I was mentioning before, like I'm a big fan of social media organic marketing specifically versus paid. And I believe that that is going to be a greater role. I think there's going to be a lot of change away from paid and back into organic Mm -hmm. and celebrating the value of organic. Number one, because all the social media spaces, Facebooks and et cetera, are putting so much kibosh on the paid. And number two, organic is just becoming more and more powerful because people want that real human connection. The challenge is how to do it because if everyone's bad writers, then like it's impossible, right? So like that's my mission is to like help people be better writers through artificial intelligence and to help them scale, right? So the real idea behind Lately is to give one single person the ability to market themselves or their company like a mega brand. So the entire product together does about 80% of what a marketing agency might do or, or a large marketing mm-hmm. team. A small entrepreneur can literally have the same effective power as Walmart would have with its, with its marketing team. So yeah. that's the way social media tools need to start thinking as well. As you know, Paruma, like scale becomes a bit of a jargon word. I know that. Yeah. But that is the thing is like, we all need to be everywhere all the time and we need to be doing it in a way that's authentic which is also a jargon word these days, and also relatable. So what started happening for a while was social media whiz bangs would take one message and say it like literally the same message 10 or 20 times over and over again, like a commercial, right? Which we know is effective. Commercials work. Um, this is the same way radio works. Like, you know, the typical song would get paid, played 30 to 50 times each week. That's how it becomes a hit song as you hear it again and again. But that's not right. working anymore because people are cottoning onto it. The, you know, Twitter has their spam rules, all this kind of stuff. So you have to say the same thing differently. That's exhausting. In different ways. Yeah, in, in different, different ways, ways and multiple times. And yeah, it's exhausting. <laughs> so, for example, what I was doing manually for Walmart was looking at all the long form content that was being created during that project that was collecting dust. Because like people would spend mm-hmm. hours writing a white paper, for example, and then like nothing would happen with it, really. It might get emailed to a few people. And so I'd go through and I'd just try to pull out as many quotes as I could because someone painstakingly wrote each sentence and they were actually really compelling and awesome. And then attach it to a short link wherever this content lived. And so that was the initial idea behind our auto generator at Lately to like help you repurpose or upcycle that content, I like to say, and then give you that scale that you and I are talking about and we know is so important without being annoying, right? Because it's like giving somebody a different avenue or a different entry point into reading or listening or watching your long-form content because you never know which quote, which text point is the one that's going to like spark their interest, right? Right, absolutely. <laughs> what are the biggest mm-hmm. trends that you're seeing in this space, especially in uh, digital media and social media campaigns? Well, I'm seeing a lot of mistakes, <laughs> actually. Number one, 
there's just a lot of 30,000 foot advice happening. So for example, like you might see people using social media to say things that are so broad that it's like, have a nice day. Yeah, sure. Or like, (laughs) write compelling copy. Okay, but how? That kind of stuff, you know? And I'm seeing, like we talked about the repetition, like I see that all the time. I've been guilty of it as well. But the key to kind of breaking this noise up, in my opinion, is is access. And we're just starting to see that get all tingly out there. And so by access, I mean behind the scenes, right? So that's why video is so popular because anybody can do it. But pretty quickly, there's going to be everybody is doing video already. I mean, I'm on Facebook because I'm old still, but I see people doing pulling out their phones all the time now. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Everybody now has like a home video yeah. thing. But yeah. what makes that different? And the different is how it's delivered. So like this conversation you and I are having, whether it's me letting you know that occasionally I don't get my toothbrush till two in the afternoon or that I sit around in my yoga pants most days. Mm-hmm. Those are those little nuggets that yeah. <laughs> get that relatability. Across, That's also right? good to or, know though. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs> so, you know, I was thinking about, someone asked me about like, how do big brands do this, right? When I was little, my mom did a bunch of field trips for the school and she, she took us to McDonald's and to Dunkin' Donuts and the bagel shop. And we got to go into the kitchens and see how it worked. And this was cool, right? It was so interesting. We saw, like, I didn't know that bagels were boiled when I was six and that they threw, then they put them in the oven. Like, that was really cool. And so those kinds of things and letting, just pulling back the black curtain and letting people know that there's people back there. Like, I see sometimes companies like a beer company, for example, might have pictures of people holding the beer in every single social media picture that they post, but it's clearly a crafted picture. It's not a real person shot at a concert or something like that. It's somebody, Mm -hmm. some pro. So those gloss over to me and they, they don't strike me as real or valuable. But when you see in your friends and Facebook and someone happens to be having a beer, that's a whole different kind of way that you're going to digest that photo, for example, right? Because there's just something right. more real, whatever, human or authentic yeah. about it. So access, I think, is like the biggest trend. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see how big companies are going to be able to, A, if they're going to cotton on quick enough, <laughs> yeah, and B, like how they're going to get around. They just need to get out of their way, their own way at this point, right? Right. So can you share so, some top must-haves that, according to you, should be part of every social media outreach? I think like the biggest one is to do unto others. Like that's the golden rule, right? So if you communicate with people how you want to be communicated with, it seems to work Mm -hmm. pretty well. And so one easy way I think about this is making stuff to be really easy to understand. So time zones is a good one. So people have workshops, people have podcasts, webinars, stuff like that. And if they're talking about them online, they might say it's at 12 o'clock, right? So help me out. There's a whole world here, you know, and like, we can't address the whole world in one tweet, but we can do a little bit better than that. So we could say it's at 12 Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific. And so that, that okay. just helps people because A, mm-hmm. none of, we're all bad at math also pretty yeah. much, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing we talked about not burying the lead, right? So getting stuff right up there. I'm a big fan of editing. So whether it's an email or a paper or a report or, or a social post, I write what I want to say and then I look at it and I hack, usually hack off the first five words, right? Because there's some kind of lead mm-hmm. in there. 
maybe this sentence doesn't depends on what it is. And really just trying to be very economical with the words and then of course the characters and thinking about what can I do here to hack the fluff, so to speak. So one typical mistake a lot of folks do all the time, and this is just back to basic writing, but is they write in passive voice versus active voice. So meaning like passive would be the bone of the dog, whereas active would be the dog's bone, right? Right. So that's an easy one. And then the other one that I really think about is, and we talked about this a little bit, how you would want to be communicated with. One easy way to do that is to like literally just read your stuff out loud before you send it. Mm-hmm. So what's great about this, and again, like I just told you that I do this all day long because I use voice activated software, but I hear myself saying it and I can tell if it's uncomfortable. Like if it's something, if, if the word is uncomfortable in my mouth to say, then I know it's not natural. So for example, I wouldn't say something is magnificent, although magnificent is a great word. I would be like, that is bomb or cool or holy cow right. or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. You're casual and you'd like it that way. Right. Yeah. That's my deal. And like, yeah. so contractions, I don't write long form, you might say, but it's such an easy mm-hmm. one. I was talking to, do you know, Anne Handley? She's, she's from marketing profs, that yeah. famous marketer. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. her newsletters. I was like, do you read those out loud? And she's like, I do. How can you tell? I'm like, because it sounds like you. You can totally tell. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Good practice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good practice. Yeah. Yeah. Good best practice. Can you tell us about some successful ways or campaigns your customers have run using lately? Yeah. Um, thanks for asking. So one of my favorites is David Allison. What an amazing human. So David used to own a pretty large firm and he would pay a social media agency 3000 bucks a month to do his social. And then he would end up correcting it because it was either not very well written or, you know, not consistent with the messaging, yada, yada. So in August, this last August, he released his first book called Value Graphics, which is another topic that we should Mm -hmm. touch on. And he released it on a Monday. And by noon, he was number one on Amazon's best-selling global list. And he gives lately Uh all the credit, which is cool. That's amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Because he took his book and ran it through my artificial intelligent auto generator. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. So this all in a couple of hours. That's wonderful. Yeah. And he's one of our most amazing customers because he keeps pushing the tool farther and farther um, in that way. And we, what's been interesting to us is to see, and we developed lately for brand marketing, but we've had people use it in ways that we didn't expect. So whether employee advocacy would be one, social selling, executive thought leadership. And the reasons people are using is this because we made it so that you can stack accounts So for example, Mm -hmm. if you are a bank and you have 1,400 locations across the country, the national marketing team can auto-generate a ton of content from a blog, let's say, make sure it's all Mm -hmm. good with the key messaging of the company, yada, yada, and then push it out to those other accounts unlimited. And the other accounts, when they log in, they can see a pipeline of content waiting for them that they can run as is, or if they need to localize it or something like that, they can. So mm-hmm. that's what I did for Walmart. Like that's the manual thing. So that's where the whole idea of like one single Automated. individual. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. Um, yeah. So, so it's been kind Great. of really interesting. Yeah. Thank you. And when we're watching this and we're like, oh, we did not expect that, but cool. We're going with the flow. Great. So can you share some thoughts on some of the most successful campaigns in B2B marketing that you've seen so far, especially some that audiences can pick a learning or two from? 
Yeah, I'll talk about us because, you know, I don't have the permission to talk about my some of my customers' work, but I can talk about ours for sure. So um, internally, at Lately, we actually stopped all paid advertising six weeks ago. <laughs> and okay. we've been able to increase our leads 200% right now. Not only our leads, but our actual trials, right? So 200% increase based on organic marketing. So a lot of it is eating our own dog food, so using our auto generator to take the content, run it through, pump it out, but also, of course, putting a human touch on all of it. And I did this as an experiment because I wanted to make sure that I was still right. <laughs> and one of the reasons that this works for us is because not only do we have the software pushing it out in this way, but we also do our own employee advocacy. So this is something I used to do as an agency. It's pretty amazing. I mean, these days, when employees participate in your social, even just you know sharing content, Companies on average see a 40% to 70% lift, and we see the same thing. So it's just as simple as, and again, we're using, we're able to use Lately to do this, right, to broadcast on the behalf of our own employees. And so for us, we have a 200% lead increase, and we have a 75% conversion on our landing page, which is really high, and we have 50% conversion to sales, which is also crazy. Yeah. And we're doing that because... Also for us, I mean, we've been studying and testing and things like that, but that voice that you were mentioning, that casual voice of mine, that's the voice mm -hmm. that is the brand of the company. And we've found that just being super relatable to our customers and treating all of our customers as individuals, no matter if they work at a mom and pop shop or at some of the largest companies in the world. And one of the things we do, I'll give you a trick here, give away my tricks, is for every customer that we meet, so as soon as we get an email address from a customer, we have one of our interns go and find them on LinkedIn. They sign into LinkedIn as me, connect with them on LinkedIn, and then we follow their company on Twitter, and we share their messaging very often. And so I get to see how my customers are using my product, and mm -hmm. we consider ourselves participants in their marketing. We want to we be on their team. We want to help them. Right. That's amazing. It's it's such an integrated experience then. And then I think the results are far better. So who knows if we can keep this up? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you must. <laughs> yeah, we must. So according to you, how best can B2B marketers optimize their social media campaigns to drive results, especially from their ABM strategies? Because, uh, you know, ABM and B2B marketing, they go hand in hand today. So. Yes. Yeah, so that's a good question. So what one of the mistakes that I saw at Walmart and that I see a lot today, too, is just not using the best practices and information you get from both of those things. So if something is working well here, try it here, right? And that's what we do a lot. And we were doing that with our, with our when we were doing our paid as well. It's just like seeing certain messaging serving well in this space, try it over here. That doesn't happen a lot, which is sort of surprising. For us, we're looking and we still, you know, we look at paid, we look at organic social, we look at our sales emails as well, and, and then our product communications. And the idea is to unify all of those together, right? So marketing is the one entity that actually bleeds into product, sales, customer service as well. And literally it does. And so if everybody, all of those entities must be on the same page and communicating the same message like as a whole. And if you're not able to do that, and that includes advertising as well, then you can forget it because as you know, customer trust is the most important thing here, right? So when you confuse them, that's when that goes away. And that's why those, all those entities need to be consistent. 
Right. I have a question about the tool, how it works. Does it use any, does Lately have any intelligence or data sets that drive the system and uh, that help provide insights to the customers? Yeah, thanks for asking. So what we're really focusing on writing, as I was saying before, and so the way that, that the artificial intelligence works is that we examine keywords and phrases and we're looking at how well those are received via engagement on your social spaces. And we learn from those. And so we start prioritizing the highest engaged pieces and the highest engaged keywords and key messaging behind that. And the analytics, it's sort of like a feedback loop, right? And we allow you to curate that as well. So you can say to me, I want you to pay more attention to these phrases and words and ignore um, these other ones. And so that's one way that the, the data set kind of gives you those insights because we start flagging that messaging that's working really well for you. And we encourage you to use it, you know, in other places as well. Great. Just a, another quick question on the same thing. Do you see a lot of install tech data or technographics play a role in this segment to feed social tools, social engagement tools? Yeah. I mean, what I see more is, well, touching back on value graphics, I'm starting to see this shift. So as far as, you know, how that data is being used and informing people, I see people looking for that human touch, even in the data. So value mm-hmm. graphics, which is the book that David Allison wrote is, is he actually has right. a company that does this and it's all about, you know, so you and I can be different races and from different economic backgrounds, but we value the same thing. And so actually what we value is what drives our consumption as, as consumers, our purchasing power. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is a huge shift that's happening globally. And by the way, a trend that is taking shape pretty quickly, because I think the old data is so, A, it's wrong, and B, it's dry, and it's dividing us because people are misusing it, as we all know, and because it's wrong, essentially. And so it'll be interesting to see, I mean, we're working with David on a way to be able to incorporate the information from Value Graphics into Lately to be able to help our customers even better. But absolutely, I mean, it's a thing that other companies need to start paying attention to because... I know that all this data in marketing, I got to tell you, let me give you a secret into my life for is that I hate it. I think that it's a bunch of crap, to be frank with you. Okay. I think, I think that marketers um, put way too much value on this sometimes and they get lost in it and they don't even know what they're looking at or how to translate it. And it just becomes like this jargony mess kind of deal. And so I really think yeah. people need to. Yeah, exactly. If you don't connect the dots, if you don't study everything, yeah, you're not making the best use of any of it. So, so I'm going to quote you on this when we promote this podcast episode that you think <laughs> data is a bunch of crap. Great, great. <laughs> <laughs> I really think that's true. Yeah, sorry, yeah. And I want to clarify it too, because that's where you're removing the human out of the picture. So the human has become so far removed from the data that again, mm-hmm. like you can't take that out of marketing. And that's why it's becoming irrelevant and while values and value graphics are ever more relevant if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. what martech and sales tech products and why would gain more attention according to you in 2019 and especially for b2b marketing and sales teams but of course we've uh, spoken about your thoughts on social selling and social (laughs) engagement tools besides those yeah, besides this, I mean, anything with artificial intelligence is, is, is definitely having a moment right now, right? It's really starting to be on trend. And, you know, part of that is what we're talking about. There's like kind of all this dinosaur stuff around and, and you can see that it's interesting to watch companies starting to cotton onto this. And, you know, Gary Vee is famous for saying, like, if you don't disrupt yourself, someone else will. So I think products that are able to help people 
disrupt themselves, like Value Graphic, like Lately, is kind of going to become more and more prevalent. I can't pinpoint something specific. I can tell you it's not video. Everybody's been saying video for two years and they need to get over it because Mm -hmm. video, it's not a trend, but it's just, you know, another toolkit at this point. But I think that the MarTech and and sales products that give that access we talked about, so that have an understanding of that's what people want, pulling back the black curtain, and that also make humans sort of prominent and human connection prominent in in their thesis and their mission, then those are the tools that are going to be succeeding. Great. Kate, in the beginning of this conversation, you did mention that when you were working as a radio producer and host, there were times when you were, you experienced some trouble work. So, you know, at the end of this conversation, I'd like to get back on that. And it would be great if you can share some key takeaways and few words of advice to women, the women workforce, especially since you've gone through something, how would you tell the younger lot to deal with problems that they face and uh, what else would you tell people to do especially the upcoming millennials the rest of the global workforce there are a lot of issues a lot of sexual harassment cases me too the hashtag that went viral a couple of months ago so let's talk about that for a couple of minutes sure thank you for asking that because it's it's really important to me as a female entrepreneur it's hard i mean i'm sure you've heard this stat only two percent of venture money goes to female um, led companies and the goalpost is consistently moving. I didn't know what it was until I had other female mentors and advisors telling me, like, this is what you're seeing. Like, this is not prejudice, but basically. And I was like, surprised, because I was like, oh, God, really? That's what this is. And so I think one thing that I'm a fan of, there's a new book called Radical Candor. And that's just kind of having, you have, can't you tell, Paruma? This, that's my MO anyways. <laughs> and I like to call it out. I mean, I like to say that that's not okay. And let me give you an example. I had an investor in one meeting sexually harass me, push me around, like manhandle the situation and, and steer the conversation. And then also try to teach, he was out to teach me something like, so like really putting me down and then kept calling me like his daughter and then also fell asleep twice in the same meeting. And there was someone else there. And at the end of that meeting, I was so frazzled and shocked and, and upset. And I felt like my time had been wasted. He sat back in his chair and he put his arms behind his head and he's like, so how can I be helpful? And I stood up and I was shaking and I just said, you can be helpful by never doing this again. Then I walked out of the room, except that I couldn't open the door because it was a magnetic door. And you know how you can't stand in front of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you stood there and I was like, can you open the door for me? <laughs> but it was really empowering to like just say to you, like, that was not cool with me. You know, the other thing I wanted to share with female entrepreneurs is that it is kind of, I mean, me too. There is this moment. It's kind of a hip thing to be in the startup world and be female and people are interested in it. And I love all the women that are doing it. And it's, it's amazing. And a lot of them are, you know, like have amazing degrees from Harvard and Wharton and they came from really nice homes and all this stuff. And I'm here to tell you, I was a line cook. I was a rock and roll DJ and here I am. Right. And I didn't go to any of those schools. I think that's so important that entrepreneurship is accessible and that people like me know that they can totally do it too. Like you don't have to come from a certain background. You can it's for be everyone. a wild child. You have to have <laughs> an idea. You have to have a focus and yeah, it's for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's for everyone. Absolutely. And the last thing I'll say is the decision, you know, we were talking about my dad and shining that light in my life. What you have to think about is this. It takes a special stomach. It's not easy. Like this is really high stress. 
But the stress for me personally of working with a-holes, frankly, feel free to quote me on that, is much greater than running my own show, right? And so that's the question anyone needs to ask themselves. Because if you're going to be totally freaking about, out about where your next paycheck is coming from, this is not the job for you. <laughs> right. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Gabe, thank you so much for spending your valuable time with us. And we're obviously looking forward to having you back again. Maybe we'll have a debate on something related to content and content marketing. Who knows? So until next time, I hope you have a fabulous day ahead and a fabulous rest of the next couple of weeks. And we'll see you soon. That is awesome. Thank you so much. Cheers.